Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. All right. I'm going to start today by telling you a little bit of story about myself so I may introduce myself properly. So my name is Joseph. I was born in Ghana. My family relocated to London in 1996. I was 13 years old. We got stuck right in, went to Addington High School, and went to a Ghanaian church. My family are first generation Ghanaians in this country. And so we had a Ghanaian church, Sochi. Um, I was raised in Ghana. If you know anything about Ghana, it meant that I went to Sunday school from the day I was born, okay? I was already a Christian before I was born. <laughs> Um, but then coming into this country age 13, I realized that actually I was not a lover of God, that church was really boring, and I had discovered cable television. And if you're younger, you don't know what cable TV is, don't worry about it. You've got Sky now, it's fine. Alright, but suddenly there was lots of things that were more entertaining than going to a Sunday school back in Ghana. Okay, so suddenly I wanted to do other stuff. And the other thing to know is we didn't go to church just because it was the only thing to do, but because our moms and dads told us to. So even though I had changed and relocated so that there were more things to do, my mom and dad hadn't changed. So I had to go to church age 13 and I was still going even though I didn't want to. Fast forward age 17 and it was nearing the time where I was about to tell my mom, you can't tell me to do this stuff anymore. Okay, you can't spank me, I'm out of here, I am not going to your church. But God got there first. <laughs> what happened was in a Bible study on Tuesday night, we're doing Bible study as usual, and the man basically said, the gospel and the salvation, see what I'm doing, I'm preaching the gospel at the beginning of my sermon rather than the end. Okay, so, so what basically happened was this man who's teaching us the gospel, teaching us the scripture says, salvation is as simple as ABC. Number one, Joseph, although you've been raised in a Christian home, you need to A, accept that you are a sinner. And like I said, at age 17, I now know enough to admit that I was a sinner. Suddenly I was like, yes, okay, I accept that I'm a sinner, I can't lie. B, you need to believe that Jesus died for you because the God who made you still passionately loves you and he wants to forgive you, so he sent his son to die in your stead. The sins, the penalty of your sin was now laid upon him, so God can forgive you of your sin, not just say it's okay, but justly forgive you because it's been paid for. He sent his son, do you believe that? It's like, yeah. And you know, I've heard all of these things before, remember, I was raised in church, but suddenly I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, I do. Then see, you need to confess him as your Lord and your Savior. Do you want to do that now? Well, in fact, he didn't ask me. He just said, you need to confess that he's, he's your Lord. You give your life to him. I said, okay. And then he stopped there. So I then said, can we pray? And I've done this sinner's prayer many times, but can we do it tonight? Because I think I get it. I get it. So we prayed. At the end of the prayer, no goosebumps, nothing at all. Went to church the next day and I told them the story just like I've told you now. Except suddenly my heart broke and, it be and I began to weep in front of the whole church. And I cried and cried and I didn't even know why I was crying. But what happened was the next day I knew something had changed in me. I became a lover of God Amen. and not just a church attendant. And I've told you that story. Because the part of the scripture that we are going to look at, we're going to look at, is very practical. 
It is one of those things that I'm going to ask you to, to do something. But it is important that you understand I'm only going to ask you to do this as a people who have had this experience. Otherwise, you can take what I'm about to say and go and try and practice it and fail and, and be miserable. The scriptures here where we're going to go is asking people who have had their hearts changed, transformed by God, becoming lovers of God, who the Spirit of God resides in. So when he asks you to do these things, it's not because you must that you take it, but actually now you have the privilege to do it because the Spirit of God resides in you. And the Spirit in you says, yes and amen, I want to be this. That's why I've shared, you, I've shared that story with you. So let's go into our passage. Chapter 2, I'm going to pick up from verse 12. That is the passage that we're going to look at today. So Paul has said a few things about being in one mind, being humble, and pointed Jesus out as our great example. And then he says, therefore. Okay, so it is important you read um, the preceding verses, which I'm sure you've read and gone through. So picking up from verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may, be, you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. All right, okay. Here is our passage, and the context is Paul being your pastor, explaining to you the importance of not grumbling and not complaining. But of course, he, sat, he sets off by explaining the importance of being of one mind, be together, be agreed, be a people who are on the same page, on the same line, as it were, be a united people. And then he says the way you achieve that is by being a humble people. You can't be united and be agreed all the time. The only way you achieve that is being a humble people. In other words, sometimes you think you're right, but actually you go with, you prefer other people above yourself. So he, he puts this whole big emphasis on humility. If you will be of one mind and united, you should be a humble people. And so he does the whole Christ hymn pointing Jesus out as our great example of humility. He being God, became man, took on flesh and blood so he can have blood to shed for us, and he died on the cross, being accused wrongfully and yet not defending himself, not arguing his case, being silent and being crushed as a result, but entrusting himself to the Lord to vindicate him. And as we sang this morning, he now is the lion and the lamb of whom every nation, every tribe, every people, everything in heaven, everything on earth, anything under the earth, all of creation will bow to this man, Amen. this God man. 
But you see, he's not just talking to you about being united. And he's not just talking to you about being a humble people. He's trying to take you to a place, and that's where we are today. He's wanting to create a breed of people who are distinct, as he describes as the people who are shining lights in a dark and perverse generation. And you're thinking, what does that mean? What does that look like? Simply put, he wants a people who do not complain, who do not grumble, who are not disputing and fighting among themselves. And he says, as you just read, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, let me be glad in this. In other words, as your pastor, I want to say to you, Philippi, I planted you, I loved you, I formed you, and you've been great when I've been in your presence, and I want you to continue to be great while I'm away. But if there's anything, if there is a dying wish from this man, it is this. Let me die seeing that you guys are a distinct group of people. When everybody else is complaining and murmuring and disputing, you guys are not. You guys are a settled group who speaks a different language. The language of heaven, not one of complaint. So, let's begin. Therefore, my beloved, if you have, as you have always obeyed me, as, as I said before, he is not with them. He, he was with them, but he's moved away and he's saying that I want you to continue to be great while I'm away. Please, please continue to be great. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And as I explained to you before, working out your salvation is, he's about to ask us to be a people who do not complain, who are no memory, who are no grumbling, but it starts with the fact that salvation has already taken place. Something has happened on the inside of these people. So he's able to ask them what he's about to ask them. He's pointing them to the grace that has already taken place in your heart, the effective work of God on the inside of them. And you could say, when he says, work out your salvation, you could change it to almost say, walk out your salvation. Walk it out, that which is in you, work it out, walk it out, walk in it. And I'm about to tell you what that looks like, okay? So walk out your salvation, which is why I said, don't just jump and think this is something we can ask the whole world. Don't stand on the pulpit outside the market somewhere and tell the people not to complain. You just don't do that, okay? But you tell the people who, of whom the Spirit of God resides to do that. So he starts off emphasizing our salvation and working it out, walking it out, living out our faith. Okay, so then he gets to the place of where he's wanting to create this people group. Do not complain. Do not grumble. Do not be a disputing person. How do you do that? Okay, I, I am reading it. There's something in me that says yes. You don't need to remind me of Jesus not doing this in himself. You know, Jesus did not complain when he was arrested. He was hit. He was beaten. This whole example of Jesus, you know, descending and humbling himself. I see that. I love that. I think he's amazing. That's why I worship him. <laughs> he did a fantastic job. So yes, Paul, you are saying something that my spirit agrees with. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be this thing that you're asking me to do. To be. I want to be a shining light. I want to be distinct. I want to be the person when you when I walk into the room, and this is what application looks like, 
in your staff room when everybody else is complaining. You are the one who does it. You are the one who says the other words that brings peace and joy in the situation. When everybody else is complaining on the bus, when the bus is late, and you have the right to complain, and the bus driver comes, and everybody else is yelling at him, and you don't. Okay, parents, children are complaining, teachers are complaining, students are complaining, the head teacher is complaining too. I know. <laughs> everybody complains to the head teacher, the head teacher is like, okay. Oh, but now there's academy, so she can now complain to somebody else, okay? <laughs> and, and, and on and on it goes. Around you is a world that speaks a language of complaint. As I said, the, um, when Paul writes to the people of Philippi, he's saying, don't do this. In other words, he's saying that they are, you are living in a, among a people who complain a lot, who dispute, who grumble, who do that kind of thing. So when I'm asking you not to become like that, I'm asking you to be distinct and therefore be a shining light, an example to the people around you. But isn't it interesting that um, we live in those days today? London, in the West in particular, there is much to complain about. Particularly in our time now in COVID season, there is much to complain about. I should wear a mask, I can't sing, I can't go and give my grandma a, a hug, who the heck do you think you are? Okay, 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 I will wear my mask. And then the other person doesn't wear their mask. <laughs> and you're like, but I'm obeying the rules, but you are not obeying the rules. And da 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 And on and on it goes. And then bad things happen. A black man gets murdered on the street by the police. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go there. We need to be real, okay? And the whole Black Lives movement rises. There is an injustice that has happened. There is an uproar. And as a black man who has experienced racism, everything in me is going crazy. Like, this is not fair! And I'm challenged by it. Be just. Pursue justice for the oppressed. Do not complain. Do not be a disputing person. How, how does that work? I'll tell you how it works, how it worked for me anyway. You come before God and you say, God, this is not fair. This is not right. What do we do? What do we do? And God says, pray. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. I pray, God, please help um, that man and his family. This, the, um, the injustice has been done to them. And I'm praying, I'm praying. And God says, pray for the man who killed him. La, la, la. What did you say? Pray for the man who killed him. Pray for the people who are being racist. Pray for the people who don't understand my beauty and the creation that I'm bringing about. Pray for the people who are so blinded. Pray for those who are angry and they don't even know why they're angry. Pray. Pray. And I'm in a meeting and I'm standing there. And I want to do the right thing. My heart is angry. But I've now wrestled with God and my heart is no longer angry. It is broken. And when you read, as we've been singing this morning, Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. 
And suddenly I'm seeing people who would otherwise be in a confrontation argument with me about not understanding white privilege, not understanding Black Lives Matter and the importance of it, and all of those things. Suddenly we're not arguing. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing hard issues. I'm telling them that, hey, God is love. I'm speaking a whole different language, one that there's no room for argument. I'm telling you that God loves me. God loves you. God wants me to prefer you above myself. God requires all people to prefer one above the other. And you can't argue against that, can you? You speak a whole different language. So in Paul's exhortation here, he's not saying do not fight for what is right, do not be a man or a woman of justice. He's saying you can go this way. Even if, you, even if it's within your right to go. Or you can go that way, which you know is wrong. But in fact, if you step back, there is a middle road that God is always asking us to walk. That narrow road. That place of peace and just and goodness and kindness and mercy. And wouldn't it be great if, um, if there was a church like this where you walk into the room and when everybody else around us is either fighting for black justice in an angry manner, or the white people are like, no, we don't get this, you know, we are important too, and why should we have why should we just focus on black lives and that and that and don't get it? And they're angry. The church arrived with blacks and white saying that I am white. I want to tell you, my white friend, that I prefer my black brother above myself. And right next to him is with this black brother who is saying, I want to tell you, my black brothers, that I prefer this white brother above myself. And a whole different scene appears. And that group of people are neither this nor that. They're unique. And to this end, Paul says, even if I am being poured out as an offering on this sacrifice and service of faith, I will rejoice. Which basically means this, church, if I am your pastor, if there is one request that I will ask of you, if there is, the, if there is one thing I want to see, and um, earlier I was talking about how I'm a man of vision, I love the next chapter about I forget behind, I, I leave behind what is you know, I forget about what is behind and I press on towards the goal and, and, and he's got this adventure set out in front of him. Like a, a church visionary myself, I want to count how many people we can reach with the gospel. We've, we start a kids club in Croydon, we turn our Sunday school into a kids club, which all the community can just come and drop their kids and then pick them up afterwards. Five mothers get saved on the back of it, suddenly churches want to know. And now we're reaching 900 children a week and we're like, yeah, I'm pumping, I'm pumping. And Paul is saying that if I was able to do all of that, and I'm not able to create this kind of people, I have labored in vain. It's for nothing, he's saying. If there's something I want to die happy about, is that this group of people emerge who are not complaining, who are distinct, who speaks a language different from the world around them. Let me die happy seeing you as that group of people, Paul says yeah. to the church in Philippi. And he says to Trinity Church London, 
if I was in Philippi, I would want to make Paul happy. Not because he's just a great guy, but because what he's saying is true. I want to, I want to do what he's saying, because what he's requiring of me is good. And he's labored long. He's worked hard to preach the gospel, and week after week he's there, day after day, helping. He's been beating, he's been accused, he's fighting for me. And now I'm a Christian because he preached the gospel to me. I know God loves me and I'm rejoicing because of him. I want to make him happy when he says, make my joy complete by doing this. I want to say yes. And yet at the same time, as I said, there is this thing, but how? Okay? Complaining and disputing is always to do with what we're saying. And, and, and James teaches us that controlling what you say is difficult. But there is a way around it. Um, as I said earlier, there is um, the picture I have in my mind is a chimney. Okay, so when there is smoke coming out of the chimney, you don't stand at the top to try and fan away the fumes or the smoke. You go down to the belly of the chimney and you put out the fire. The way you become a person who is not complaining, who is not disputing, not angry. The way you become a person when you are being pushed out of your belly comes Father, forgive them. Rather than, I want to slap you, which you do. But, <laughs> but when pressed, when pushed out of you, when crucified, when unfairly treated, what comes out of you is, Father, forgive them. I want the best. I want to pray for them. The way that happens is that you go down to the belly. You don't try and act out goodness. You don't try and become a somebody. You go down to the belly. And the Bible says, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of what is in the heart. And that's why I started my sermon today by telling you my story of how God went into my belly and changed everything. You speak differently, you behave differently because God has gone on the inside of you and made a change there. If you're here and you haven't experienced that, accepting that you're a sinner, believing that God loves you and he sent his son to die for you and confess him as your Lord, so that that transformation, that, that anger, that all, all of the bad stuff that is in you gets dealt with in a spirit of God which is good and kind. The fruit of the spirit, gentle, merciful, comes and quenches that fire and settles within you to live there. That's where you start. You come to him and you humble yourself and you say, God, forgive me. I give my life to you. Come, Holy Spirit, come and help me. And fill me with your spirit. And if you've been a Christian long and you're still struggling with complaining, as you do, because your spirit is now fighting your flesh, the answer is always not a willpower to overcome the flesh. The answer is always be filled with the spirit. More Lord. I need more of you so I can love right. I need more of you so I can be patient in this situation. I need more of you so I can have the right answers to give. I need more of you. I want a, a, a heavenly perspective so my language will, will be different. And when more and more of us do that, Paul in his letter is saying, we become a light shining in a dark and crooked Perverse generation. In one way, it's hard to do it when everybody else is so easily complaining, so easily saying other stuff. It's hard. 
It's harder to not join in in this bathroom when everybody's complaining. It's harder not to join in when everybody's complaining that the bus driver is late. It's harder not to react when somebody is unfairly treating you. It's harder. But to be a light and to shine, in many ways, is easier. Because sometimes you just have to be quiet. You just have to do the simple not joining in and your distinction is seen. I love the way Daniel prayed earlier, let our silence be heard. Great imagery there. And God wants us to position ourselves so that we shine this way. Let me finish the end of my story and then we'll pray. So fast forward, I've now joined the church, I'm a Christian now, a lover of God, got this passion for, for God and passion for people. And right before this day, I went to my church. We were hiring a church in um, the church building on the other side of town. So to get to church, you have to go through Central Parade, which is like the high street. And we're talking about New Islington, those of you who know that. Um, Sunday afternoon, like I said, we didn't own our church building, so we went into the church after the Baptist church had finished. So we were going to church in the afternoon. So as a boy, before this day, when I'm going, oh, the other thing about being African is you have to dress smart, okay? So in this particular church anyway, you have to dress really smart. But now, I'm at school, I'm cool, and I don't want my friends to know that I'm going to church. And so, when I get to the edge of Central Parade, I'll, you know, attack, I'm tucking my shirt and hide my Bible and look a little bit scruffy, and I go to the other side of town, and then I'm tucking my shirt my bag and walk into church. <laughs> this is how I knew I was saved because the next day it didn't matter. What I did was actually I took my Bible to church, to school. And in tutoring time I get my Bible to read. I want to understand what Jesus is teaching. Very clear distinction to me that something different had happened to me. And then I started telling my friends about God, explaining the scriptures. And almost immediately, almost immediately, God reminded me of the two things that shocked me when I came to the United Kingdom. Um, number one, I thought United Kingdom was actually in the skies, it was in heaven. <laughs> As a boy in the village, to get to the west, you have to take a plane that takes you up, so you must be going somewhere. <laughs> so, so when I landed, I was expecting everything to be different. I was, I don't know, streets of gold, okay? I was expecting, it, it was a massive disappointment, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the only thing I hadn't seen before was a double-decker bus in the snow. So, but that, that was good. And the second thing that happened was, I was shocked about the, godless, the godlessness in this nation. Because I knew that Ghana is a Christian country because of United Kingdom. I knew that. And so I was expecting everybody to be more Christian than we were in Ghana. And in fact, it was only in this country that I first heard people say God doesn't exist. I was shocked. I mean, in Ghana, even if you're not a Christian, you're a Muslim, or you believe in a God, an idol, but to say there is no God at all, was like, are you nuts? What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it was, a, it was quite clear around me that loads of people did not believe God existed. So, age 17, when God did what he did in me, 
He broke my heart for the nation and I wanted the United Kingdom to return back to God. I started praying, reading Wesley and Whitfield and Feeney and I'm like, God, do it again. God, do it again, please. And I prayed and prayed. And all the while, I was still going to this Ghanaian church of about 30 of us. And like I said, you can't get more Ghanaian than this. We actually spoke Chi. We had this big heart praying for the nation. And when we gather, we're, we're like more Ghanaian than Ghana itself, okay? It's like, so, so I was frustrated. Then I went to university in Canterbury. God bless me, we were able to do campus ministry, lots of people being saved and added, um, teaching, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but even though I'd been here about 13 years, the government, the Home Office, had not granted me indefinitely to remain, which basically means I didn't have a national insurance number, which basically means even though I was a graduate now, I couldn't work. And so the only thing I had was, okay, I am going to give myself to this campus ministry until God gives me permission to work in this country. So I stayed and I gave myself to it. I was loving it, it was growing, it was blossoming. I was like, this is it, I have found my calling. And though I moved back to London, I kept traveling to Canterbury every week. Canterbury to every week to do campus ministry. One day I walked in, did it, it was amazing. Then my friend who I was staying with said, in his devotion, he felt God gave him a word for me. I said, okay, here we go. He says, I felt God say, Joseph, that you are standing on sinking sand and you're trying to hold on to everything that is established and God wants you to let go. And I don't know what he was thinking, but I heard God clearly as day, stop campus ministry. And it broke my heart because I couldn't work and I didn't want to go back to, to this Ghanaian church, having experienced my prayer for the nation to be saved and seeing lots of people being saved and added. It didn't make sense to me, but I knew God had spoken. So I went and I cried and I said, God, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? So I left, came back to Croydon, went to this Ghanaian church, and weeks went by, months went by, seven months later. Seven months. And within that seven months, the only thing I felt God say to me, which now I feel is appropriate that God and Daniel are giving me this passage to preach, was do not complain, Joseph Bediaco. Do not complain. He didn't tell me why. He didn't show me what was around the corner. He just said, do not complain, trust me. So at the end of the seven months, Beulah Family Church had invited Terry Virgo to come and preach. I walked, and a friend of mine had invited me, so I walked into that church, and I found a multicultural church, like this one. Worship was amazing, like this one. Preaching was amazing, I don't know whether it was like this one. <laughs> but Terry Virgo was preaching grace from Galatians 5, and it was breathtaking. You know Terry and grace. And so I thought, this is incredible. And just like Daniel said, you know, say hello to the person, say next to you, a couple of people in front of me introduced themselves, and then they quickly went to the part of, we as a church has been praying for you, pastor, for a long time, maybe you want to look into it. And I'm like, don't remind me, I just stopped talking. God has told me not to complain, I can't work, just, I didn't say all of that, all I said is just, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay. <laughs> heard, a, heard a sermon was great. Service over, leaving the building, John who leads who led the church at the time, introduced himself, 
ask me a few questions on my marriage, you have a girlfriend, all of those weird questions going on there. Uh, do you ever ask every new person do you have a girlfriend? Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Anyway, at the end of a few chit-chat, he said, we have been praying for you, Pastor, for a long time, so maybe you should look into it. So I went back to my church and told them the first miracle happened because they don't, they, don't, they don't let anyone go anywhere. But they said, you, you should look into this. So I did. I came back to John. I told him the story. I can't work for you, but I do love this church. I want, this is my heart. I want to bless you. I want to help you. So they moved me into a flat out of my home and gave me pocket money. Started giving myself to it and serving. Um, a few months later, my papers came, but I started working for this church. And this is where Kids Club was born, where now we're reaching hundreds of kids a week. And as you've just heard, as Daniel introduced me, I now lead this amazing church. But the seven months of do not complain taught me this lesson which I'll leave you with. When God asks you to not complain, not disputing, not grumbling, it is only but an invitation to trust Him. Because He can see what's around the corner and you can't. So here is how our faith works out. To be a different kind of people, a new breed of people, to live out our faith by entrusting ourselves to him, that he will always, always do what is right by us. And on do you want to come and join me? I, will, I want to lead us into prayer, if that's okay. Um, it is a call to trust God. It is a call to lean into him. It is a pastoral message this morning. He hasn't come to condemn you, to say, oh, why are you complaining? Don't you trust me? No, no, no. He's saying, I've got you. I will take care of you. You don't need to fight for yourself. You don't need to say all of these things. Or to grumble and trust yourself to me. I've got you. Shall we stand up?